Hello and welcome back to another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. The beginning of July was the hottest week on record for our entire planet. And this followed the hottest June on record. Those figures come from the World Meteorological Organization, the UN's agency that looks at weather and climate, among other things. Clearly, these consistently hotter temperatures have enormous consequences to the environment. They also have very serious consequences for the world of work. Because heat stress affects not only workers, particularly those who work outside, but also businesses, because higher temperatures are associated with damage to productivity. So, if we are going to have to learn to live with higher temperatures, what does that mean for the world of work? With me is Nicolas Maitre. Nicolas is an economist in the ILO's research department, and he is also one of the lead authors of a recent ILO report on heat stress. Nicholas, welcome. Thank you very much for finding the time to join us. And thank you very much for having me. Um, right, let's start at the very beginning. Your report is about heat stress. How do you define heat stress? What actually is it? Yeah. So when we talk about occupational heat stress, heat stress, we talk about a situation where it's too hot to work or at least too hot to work uh, to a normal intensity. It depends not only on temperature, but also on humidity or the uh, solar radiation. And um, it endangers the safety and the health of workers by increasing the risk of injuries and heat-related illnesses. A natural defense to, to cope with, with the heat stress is to take more breaks, limit the numbers of working hours. Um, and all these measures have as a consequence of reducing the productivity. And what workers. kind of temperature does heat stress start to occur at? What sort of ambient temperature? Yes, so the estimate shows that work productivity already slowed down at temperature above 24, 26 degrees, and that 33, 34 degrees, uh, worker performance can drop up to 50%, depending on the job, uh, but uh, in physically demanding job, for example. Right, because some of the temperatures that the WMO, the World Meteorological Organization, has been talking about, a kind of over 35 getting on towards 40. So that would be very serious. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And does heat stress only occur if you're working in direct sunlight? No, it, 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 it can occur in shade or even inside uh, in some factories, for example, if the factory is not properly ventilated or there is no um, air conditioning or in other cases where there is heavy machinery or protective clothing, it can occur on a, in this kind of context. Okay, because that's interesting because the sectors that have most been talked about in association with heat stress mm -hmm. are agriculture, where obviously a lot of people are working outside, mm -hmm. and construction. We've seen quite a lot of cases related to, to that. But from what you're saying, it isn't just limited to those two industries. No, it is not. Obviously, broadly speaking, uh, agriculture and construction are the, the most affected sectors because, for example, in our estimates, we have seen that agriculture account for 60% of the productivity loss at the global level. But in fact, it can occur in all jobs that requires uh, to work 
directly under the sun mm -hmm. or if it requires protective uh, clothing or if or the just long hours i suppose exactly yeah. or physical intensity if the physical intensity uh, there are physical intensity so you're moving a lot of things perhaps and wearing protective clothing to do so exactly yeah. we can think about jobs in the sport industry but also uh, public servants such as police uh, yeah. officers or militaries that yeah. can be affected also by heat stress, but also street vendors in the service industry. And of course, affected. street vendors are very common in, well, they're almost ubiquitous in developing countries, right? Exactly. Often they are self-employed and for self-employed, the loss of productivity result directly in a loss of income and therefore a loss of livelihood. So, uh, Reduce. Yes, so this is one of those factors where heat stress is already starting to affect those who have the least ability to absorb the consequences. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 the least cap capacity of adaptation in, in a way. And also when looking at the countries that are affected the most, we've seen that um, countries most affected are often those with decent work deficit, so such as a lack of social protection, a prevalence of more prevalence of informal uh, workers, and um, more working poor. Mm -hmm. And so it's also a, a matter of social justice, and it's a matter of uh, increasing inequality mm -hmm. among countries and within countries. Should we also regard this as an occupational safety and health issue? Because the countries that you were talking about, the ones who often lack decent work, lack social uh, social protection and so on, often have some of the poorest ratings when it comes to occupational safety and health too. Yeah, it is definitely an issue of uh, occupational safety. It's an occupational safety hazard, not only because there is this direct effect of heat stress, which results uh, on discomfort, injury and illnesses for the worker, but also because it has indirect effects, because it increases the risk of injury. The, the workers that are experiencing heat stress, you can think of, about sweaty palms or also foggy uh, glasses, but the dizziness also can yep. result in uh, an increased risk of injury. And accidents, I suppose, because exactly. if you if you have sweaty palms, mm -hmm. things are likely to slip. And if you're experiencing dizziness, you may either make bad decisions or do make a mistake with a machine, something like that. Exactly. This so it doesn't just affect you, it could potentially affect your co-workers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And a lot of these workers don't have uh, uh, injury insurance benefits. So they are more at risk of these uh, events. And of course, I was going to ask you, we've been talking about the consequences for individual workers, but with those kind of, of issues related to heat stress, there's obviously a consequence for employers as well. And I think one of the things that you said in your report, wasn't it, was about the effect on productivity? Exactly. So in this report, we estimated the productivity loss at the global level, but also for every country uh, in the world of heat stress. And we've found that in 2030, the heat stress will result in a productivity loss of 2.2% of all the working hours at the global level, which is equivalent to 80 million uh, full-time jobs at the global level. And of course, this is not what we need at a time when the global economy is trying to recover from COVID and exactly. even 
still from some of the consequences of the financial crash more exactly. than 10 years ago. Yeah. And the, the situation has worsened since 1995. Because in 1995, our estimates point toward a loss of 1.4% of all working hours. In 2030, it will be 2.2%, which is a significant increase in the effect of heat stress. Okay, so what can we do about it? What can, what can, let's start with workers and employers, because they are probably the people who can react most quickly now since mm -hmm. this this phenomenon seems to be happening quite quickly what can they do yes workers and employers they are best placed to take uh, action to protect the workers and implement adaptation measures and uh, more concretely those actions can be for example uh, increasing the number of breaks but also uh, adapting the access to water for the employees adapting the working hours, but also increasing the workers' uh, rotation. Another possible uh, measure is with respect to the closing, adapting the closing of workers. Or uh, if we look at the, um, the actions that can be taken directly from the employees themselves, the workers themselves, is all the heat-reducing um, activities. For right. example, drinking regularly, uh, having a self-health check, Uh, and monitoring your colleagues? Exactly. Monitoring the colleagues are very important and raising concerns when uh, you notice some Somebody. symptoms of heat stress. Right. And what about for em employers? That presumably would be to help uh, help workers introduce these kinds of measures. Yeah, exactly. They have to create work environment mm -hmm. where workers can feel safe and can raise their concern. And also in terms of infrastructure, access to water, this is the, also the role of employers, but also um, employers should also... Have access, give access to cool spaces and shade and things like that. Yeah. Con reconsider clothing. Exactly. Those and kind of uh, provide risk assessments also in, right. in re with respect to its stress. I mean, we traditionally have associated heat stress with hot countries, mm -hmm. countries in the Middle East and the Gulf, countries in parts of Africa and in Asia, where hot temperatures are, in some cases, something that's experienced year round, and they're very used to it. And they have adapted over a long period and they've adapted their working routines. But now it, it's clear that heat stress is no longer just an issue of what we would think of traditionally as the hot countries. It's uh, an issue for for more temperate countries too. Mm -hmm. But do you think there's something that more temperate countries can learn from hot countries? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first it is, uh, all the evidence suggests that it's becoming a real problem for temperate countries, mm -hmm. but the problem, as you said, is not the same. While in uh, Southeast Asia, for example, the problem is present more or less all year round. In Europe, it's really a punctual problem that occur during heat waves in the summer. And so I, I believe that the adaptation measures also should consider these differences. While in hot countries, we can think about uh, implementing sustainable adaptation measures. In um, temperate countries, we, we might think of adaptation measures that are triggered, for example, by a certain level of temperature. 
Right. So this is where the governments might come in, setting these kinds of, of levels which might trigger a different set of measures. Is that the kind of thing that governments could do? Exactly. The, the government, the role of the government is very important in providing first the information. So this also relates to this level of temperature uh, for the triggering of these adaptation measures. But it can also um, create an appropriate regulatory framework within the countries to, to tackle the issue of heat stress and uh, also invest in infrastructure regarding buildings and also warning systems, early warning systems that can allow us to react quickly right. to the issue. And I imagine that somebody might say, oh, this is going to be expensive. But I imagine that you would say, well, this is not a problem that's going away. Yeah, Time exactly. It might be expensive, but the losses of uh, productivity are also expensive and are also increasing dramatically. I just want to point out also that our estimates are quite conservative because it uses a scenario of 1.5 degree uh, increase by the end of the century. In, in planet warming, yeah. Exactly, which we know we may not be able to stick to. Exactly. Yeah. It's likely to be more than that. So uh, the losses of productivity are likely to be uh, even more important than that. Hey, when you started working on this report, it was a few years ago, mm-hmm. people didn't really talk about heat stress. And suddenly, within a couple of years, it seems to be with us every summer. I, I, have you been surprised at how quickly this appears to have come on? That's that's true. When we started, there were very few um, reports or research or even yeah. um, the media coverage was not the same. And now we see uh, numerous articles, numerous reports and in the, in the media all over. And I think it is because it's unavoidable. It's here. We see uh, our colleagues, our friends, our family experiencing the issue. And also when there is dramatic death of workers, it really strikes people more. And I... Yeah. And you're continuing to work on this topic, aren't you? Yeah, of course. We, we are still working on it. We are currently um, developing a research uh, for a, a forthcoming report on the issue. So we can ex- expect to get more, more detail on this, which I, I think will be um, very useful. And I'm sure we will be coming back to this topic again. And if anybody wants to, to look up uh, Nicholas's uh, or the report that Nicholas worked on, it's called ILO Working on a Warmer Planet the impact of heat stress on productivity and decent work. And you can find it on the ILO's website if you just um, do a search. So Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having Um, me. Good luck with um, the rest of the research. And thank you to you for listening in. And I hope you will join us again soon for another ILO podcast on the future of work. Goodbye.